Hello, you are listening to Art Speaks, a program from the William King Museum of Art. My name is Charlotte Torrance, and I am the Director of Youth and Family Education at William King. And with me today is Melody Harrison, and she is the Assistant Director of Youth and Family Education. Good afternoon, Melody. Hi, Charlotte. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Good. So today, uh, with this program, we are going to talk about the idea of process art, which for us is a method of making art programming for the museum, but it's also uh, a movement in art history. So I'll start us off today with a little bit of an art history lesson. Very little. So during the 60s and 70s, um, there's a lot going on on what we would call today modern art, what some would say with a scoff is modern art that you uh, (laughs) see now hanging in museums. And it might not be so modern to us anymore because this is the 60s and 70s. And a theme of of this work is experimentation. And one of these movements in modern art was called process art. And the purpose of process art was to... Uh, create work that shows the process of making it. And the process of making it was more important than the meaning, than the artist's intention even, and more important than the finished product. So if you could picture someone throwing a whole bucket of paint on a canvas and what you can see is all the paint dripping down, you can see the process of the artwork and that's the finished piece. And you could stand there and say, this is meaningless and the artist would probably agree with you. And and that's kind of the challenge that they're trying to make. <laughs> with that work. So one of these artists who's known for process art, if, if this is a topic you're interested in, his name is Robert Morris. And this is an artist who you'll see in many big art museums um, around the country. And he's known for these artworks where he takes giant pieces of industrial felt and he'll nail them to the wall and let them drape down or throw them in piles on the floor. And that's the artwork. Um, and the purpose of that process art is the process of nailing up the felt, essentially. And so what it looks like is determined by the media and the gravity, the gravity of the situation, literally. (laughs) Um, And he's someone who himself questioned kind of the purpose of art and the purpose of an artist in the art-making process. So if you think about that kind of thing, that might be your type of art, it might not be. But that represents what we would call process art from an art historical standpoint. So when we're talking about process art and we work in museum education, what we're thinking about is more how we want to teach art to people. And for us, people means kids. So how does nailing a piece of felt to the wall relate to how we teach art to kids at the museum? Um, It relates in a lot of ways. And for us, the process of the art is is more about the importance of uh, learning art when you're a child. What is the purpose of doing it? Is the purpose the thing that you're creating? Or is the purpose what you get out of the artistic process? So Melody, now I'm going to invite you in and ask you, how would you explain the idea of process art when you're making art projects? I would say that process art is really about the experimentation of art, that side of art. And it lets you experience art in probably a different way than you're usually taught to. So process art is all about the process. It's about the joy of not having a finished product yet and all of the possibilities that you can have before you get there. Yeah, I think that's a a wonderful description. So if you'll allow me, I will use the description I normally use for process art, which is a little bit unusual. And 
I like to think of it, I think it's most easily described by thinking about serial killers. <laughs> and if you're someone who likes to sit and watch lots of serial killer documentaries, which I am, that's why this makes sense to me, you know that they describe people as process or product killers. And without being too gruesome about what that means, it's kind of a way to explain their motivation. And this is stuff that comes from um, the FBI uh, when they learned about uh, profiling, which was, I think, also in the 70s. It might have been the 80s. But when they learned about um, profiling uh, criminals in the FBI, they came up with these definitions of process versus product and, like, that person's motivation. And so for us, is it is the purpose of making art the process of making it, or is it the finished product? So, Melody, how would you describe if you looked at a classroom of kids doing a product-based art project, what would that art look like? It might look a little bit more uniform, usually, than process art. There could be a tutorial that you're following or an idea for what you want your product to look like. As opposed to process art, you're more focused on how do these materials fit together? What can I use to create with the things that I have rather than I want to reach this point? It's about right. the fun of making instead of it's about reaching a destination. Do you think it's possible to do a craft, which is also, we could also get into, there's a different definition between um, what you would call a craft versus what you would call art. And it may surprise our listeners to learn that that is a massive and generational debate. <laughs> um, so if you were saying maybe what people might call a craft and everyone's trying to make the same thing at the end, do you think it's possible for something to be process art, to be about the joy of the process if everyone is making the same thing? I definitely don't personally. Oh. That's my opinion. I know that other people are going to have other opinions, but I think that process art is about truly expressing yourself and learning how to express yourself. Because I think that if you're following a tutorial, there's a certain level of expression that could go in there because you're doing something that you enjoy. But in process art, you have so many possibilities that you really get to like kind of openly explore how to do that. Okay, I see. So if you have a classroom of kids in November and everyone has to make a handprint turkey and you say step one, you make a handprint. Step two, we're going to draw a beak and it looks like this. Step three, we're going to make an eyeball on your turkey, it looks like this. This would be something we would call a product-based art lesson because everyone has a hand turkey at the end. And maybe your turkey has a crazy hairdo or something, <laughs> but you're still kind of following a tutorial where each step is not just prescribing technique necessarily, but each step is about doing it the same way. And so you can have something that looks correct at the end or something that looks incorrect at the end, right? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so that is what we would describe as the opposite of what we aim to do in, in our work as museum educators and art educators. I agree. I've said several times that I think that art is a very safe place for anyone, not just kids, anyone to experience trying and succeeding or failing and being able to get back up again without the fear that usually goes behind it. And process art is really a process that lets you do that. I really like how you put that. Yeah. So you can use art as a way to try and fail without as much fear. I think something else we've talked about is the kind of education kids get in like a standard educational setting during the day and what they learn. You're learning reading, you're learning math, you're learning science, you know, you're learning about the water cycle, you're learning about how plants grow. And this is all really important things to know, but you don't get to experiment. 
yourself. You learn what a hypothesis is in that sense, but in a lot of uh, settings in school, you need to learn the correct answers when you're young. And you don't get the chance to think for yourself. Well, not to say that very general statement that you don't get to think for yourself. That's not necessarily true. But like you don't get the chance to kind of come up with something out of nothing, if that makes sense. So when you're learning math in school, you need to get the right answers. If you end up going to graduate school in math one day, you reach a point where there's a threshold, maybe even college, where you're stepping over this threshold where you need to start inventing rather than just understanding or proving. And that for mathematics, that's something where that threshold is very, very far in the distance. For art, I feel like that's a threshold you cross when you're five years old. You Absolutely, get to yeah. experiment. And I think that that um, mental process is so important to, that's part of why art is so important to development. And I think that that doesn't quite get recognized as a value in art making. And you lose it if you're not focusing on trying to do process-based art. I love that. Yeah. yeah, I think that critical thinking is essential in art making. Art. I had a teacher one time that told me that art is mostly problem solving. So yes. it's not only teaching kids self-expression, but it's teaching them how to solve problems in everyday life. And process art is kind of the summation of that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's problem solving. And it's also, I think, problem solving to a degree that it's hard to get to otherwise, especially when you're young, but also when you're older. And also the ability to fail safely, to envision what you want to exist in your head, figure out how to make it, and probably <laughs> fail at it <laughs> and learn from it. Yeah. And I think something else that we've talked about before, just while we're like in our own jobs, has been um, about dealing with frustration with that failure. Frustration and feeling like you don't want to get up and do it again because you're scared now. There's a fear behind mm -hmm. trying and there should never be a fear behind trying when you're making art. Yeah. And and we've witnessed personally when kids reach that wall of frustration, which they reach in a lot of places and they're going to reach in a lot of places growing up and also that adults reach. I think that um, people reach this wall of frustration a lot of times in their life. And when you deal with frustration in art, when you're trying to create something, figure out how to create it and reaching that failure, reaching frustrating and having to rethink that problem solving, that skill and that mental development is really, really valuable. It really is. And you see it so many times in adults, especially who are making art, where we procrastinate or we don't start a project or we don't work with a certain medium because we're scared that we're not going to do it correctly. Process art takes that away. It gives you the ability to explore any medium, any type of art without feeling like you're not going to do it the way that you're supposed to. Because really in art, there isn't a way that you're supposed to do it. Yeah, I've I've used a phrase that I, I think I invented. So I've said to, I think more often adults several times, is that I call myself an anti-perfectionist. And that's my approach to a lot of things, art included. And when I say that, I think people's like eyes widen a little bit and they're like, well, does, how do you do things that are well? Or even if they'll tell me like they like how I do certain things. And I say, well, I'm an anti-perfectionist about it. I say, that's fine how it is. And I think that that letting go of perfectionism in artwork is a place where you can let go of that and practicing that letting go can be really uh, productive. So like one example, which is, is like a less common, like less commonly thought of as an art form is that I do journaling and bullet journaling and I've made Melody start doing. Yes, she journaling. has. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one where people, well, 
draw really fancy headers. And if you look online at, at this art form, people, everything just looks perfect. And that's where people get the inspiration online. And they're like, I want to do my planner really, really pretty. And you get a journal that's really fancy looking. Like you might be like, I'm going to get a nice leather bound journal and look at these beautiful pages. And then you go, oh my gosh, I don't want to mess it up. Or I got a really beautiful sketchbook. Like it's not just a regular sketchbook. It looks, makes me feel like I'm in Lord of the Rings on an adventure. I got my leather sketchbook and I never write a single word in it because I'm so scared. <laughs> and I think like that's, maybe that's a weird analogy, but that's the, the feeling of what I call anti-perfectionism. Ruin your sketchbook, ruin your nice journal, and then you don't have to be scared of it anymore. Get used to that failure. And then that's the, what you need to overcome to really get more into that art making and find joy in the process and learn from that process. I actually really love that. It's just the life philosophy. So many times we're scared to branch out and do things just because we're scared that we're not going to do it the way that we have it envisioned in our head. Mm -hmm. And I think that process art for adults can even be about like getting back in touch with your inner child and exploring life again. Yeah. That's something that I try to live by. I am a perfectionist. <laughs> so I, I might try to take on this anti-perfectionist theory here. I think the anti-perfectionist's lifestyle is is a good one. I think in an artistic sense. If you're an air traffic controller, it's a different yeah. career <laughs> where anti-perfectionism is not necessarily a good thing. But if you work in museums, if you're an art teacher, if you're a person who's trying to find more creativity, more space for creativity, I think anti-perfectionism might be just a way to describe trying not to be afraid of that failure. Well, especially in art classes, I think it gives students it teaches them the skill of being excited for things. Mm -hmm. You're excited instead of afraid. You're yeah. excited to go to an interview. You're excited to make that art that you want to make. We're very philosophical. Yes. We're <laughs> excitement and not fear. Yeah, and but we've, we've witnessed examples of kids overcoming the wall of frustration in their art making. And like the way that that helps them as people, I think, is massive. So we had, I had a kid, we, when we were doing our Van Gogh outreach programs... We were making um, kachina dolls out of cardboard tubes and some other materials, and they start by drawing on it with markers. And I had one kid start drawing with a black marker, and then he came up to the front of the class and slam-dunked his artwork into the trash can <laughs> and looked at me and said, can I have another one? I messed up. And I picked up his work out of the trash can, and I said, well, what's wrong with it? Let's, let's look at this and see what we can do. Let's see if we can solve this problem. I didn't have any extras, so I had to figure, <laughs> figure that out. <laughs> um, and also, if you give everyone a second one, suddenly everyone needs two. Every, and I told him, everyone is getting one. So let's look at this. He just was drawing with the black marker. He messed up. He wasn't happy. He was slumping his shoulders, head down. He was just not happy with it. This is a second grader for context. So I said, well, you're drawing with a black marker. We can get rid of this, this mark that you're really unhappy about if we make the whole thing black color it all in black, and then what can it be? And he said, well, it could be space. And I said, you can make a space spirit doll. And then he got a little bit excited about it, colored the whole thing in black. So by the end of the class, everyone else in class was making theirs into spaceships so that they could go to space, and then some people were making planets. And he was so proud of his finished artwork, and then they were all playing together 
the space because and so what he got in that class was he got the chance to meet this wall of frustration his instinct instantly he didn't ask permission he got out of his desk and threw that in the trash <laughs> and he was like this is how I respond to this to dealing with this problem um, but when we worked through it which art doing a process-based artwork something that didn't have to be one thing at the end he was able to change what he was working on rethink it problem solve and feel more proud of what he was finished with at the end and like that's that's like my anecdote about the importance of um, this kind of art or what we're trying to accomplish with these kinds of art lessons. I love that. I think that it's definitely about finding alternative routes whenever you meet a wall. How can you get around it? And so many times, just like you said, I have children in classes that I don't like my art. I don't want to do this. How can I start over? And I always say, well, what can we turn it into? Mm-hmm. And at first, they're like, I don't want to turn it into anything. But then after, they get really excited because they have a lot more possibilities now that they didn't originally think of. Yeah. So. And, like, I think that's, that's such an important thing to learn because, like we said, we're very philosophical. You can apply that to a lot of other places in your life. And in a lot of other things that you learn and that you need to learn when you're young, you don't have that flexibility to learn about that level of, of accepting failure, problem solving, of working through frustrations. Well, I think that failure is often seen as the last step instead of something that you can grow from. And process art helps teach that to kids, I think. Yeah. It's not the last step. It's just something for you to kick off of. Yeah. So. So something that we do since we're teaching people art is reflecting on our own teaching philosophy and our own practice. So a part of being an art educator is thinking about these ideas, like what do you want to be the purpose of your teaching? What do you want to accomplish with it? And how can you analyze what you're doing? How can you reflect on yourself outside of something like test scores? We don't get those. Thankfully. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> and that's one of the best things about it. And so this is one way to reflect on it. So how do you want to talk about how would we look at an art project we want to do maybe critically, and think, are we accomplishing process art with this? I think that that really goes down to your teaching objective. I think having a good teaching objective, a clear thought about what you want the students to get out of the lesson is very, very important. But that can coincide with process art. I think that sometimes process art can actually be even harder to write as far as a lesson plan goes because there's so many different ways that it could go individually for each student. But I also think that process art allows you to take the time to sit down and look at each student and think about how you can help them individually instead of as a class. You're getting that one-on-one kind of approach as much Mm -hmm. as you can. If you have a class of 25 kids, that gets a lot harder. Yeah. But (laughs) as much as you can, it helps you slow down and look at each each student individually and how you can help them develop their artistic process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one thing that I like to look at is just like if you look at a class of kids working on a project or a group or a camp group and you look at what they make when they're finished, does everyone have the same thing or do they all have something different? And I think that's the easiest method. I don't think it's foolproof. I don't think it's foolproof. But that's kind of my initial analysis of of an art project. Are we all going to make something unique? Do we get to make decisions along the way with this where we get to come up with something different? So what are some good examples of process art? That's a good question. I think it is. I think that like We started with art history in this episode, and I think some good examples, the easiest examples to think of for process art are abstract, modern art-inspired works. 
because process art as a concept actually really came from that modern art. So if you wanted a bunch of kids to do an alcohol ink painting, which is something that we love, you can use these alcohol inks with little droppers and isopropyl alcohol and drop isopropyl alcohol over your splatters of ink and let them transform and move and run into each other. And this is a really exciting process. It's very, it's something anybody can do and create something really cool looking and you can experiment as you go and watch it transform. And that's so alcohol ink painting is an example of process-based art. You're never going to make something that looks the same. The technique you're learning doesn't prescribe what it has to look like or what it's supposed to look like. So yeah, most forms of abstracted artwork are kind of in essence process artwork because abstract artwork and process artwork were invented together. But it doesn't have to be abstract either. I don't think it does. I think that process art can even be just experimenting with different mediums, Mm -hmm. taking a train, dipping it in paint, and then running it over paper and creating different images, starting an oil painting with an idea in mind maybe, and then halfway through you realize that you're painting an ogre instead of a (laughs) polar bear, and you just go with it, and you get excited. And that's a good example of process art as well. It's really good, I didn't say this, but it's very good for experimental learners and people that learn things hands-on because it helps transform things from, transfer things from short-term to long-term memory, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful for any STEAM-based art project as well. Mm -hmm. I think another thing can be sometimes if we're creating something that's more technique focused or we have more parameters to work within where it's like, okay, um, we did Chinese lanterns when we were teaching kids about ancient China. And that's something where we need a project that goes step by step so that we can walk the class through it. Um, It kind of has to have a historical purpose. So we made Chinese lanterns and everyone's making a lantern and a lantern generally looks the same way. And if you're making a lantern out of construction paper, (laughs) It looks a certain way, but we would do something where we made these cores to the lantern and we'd say, this is what you're going to roll up your paper when it's done, but we're going to start with it flat and you can draw anything you want. You can be abstract. You can draw a flag that gets rolled up. A lot of people wanted to learn how to draw a Chinese flag for the Chinese lantern. You can, we would give them some ideas. Someone want to be interested in learning how to write Chinese characters and we'd kind of follow what their interest was as they explore that and they can draw anything you want. So sometimes you can insert the process in and say, we're going to at least give you the chance to draw whatever you want. And so all those lanterns, when we're done, end up looking like totally different, even though they're all lanterns. There's still a step-by-step product technique and a process technique moved together so that we still have those important um, lessons from process art integrated into what we're doing. Yeah, and I was actually thinking about another lesson that we did in our Van Gogh outreach program, which mm-hmm. was our Molly lesson where the students got to make their very own clay masks. And they worked with clay to make tiny clay masks. And each one was completely open-ended. The students can make it like however they wanted to. That's a good example of process-based art because each one ended up looking completely different. And especially if you throw in different mediums to experiment with, it can get really interesting. So like we gave them cowrie shells. Also, Mali, M-A-L-I, is an ancient and also modern country in Africa. Yes. Not M-O-L-L-Y. <laughs> it's not, it's not, not a, a woman. <laughs> not a woman. Um, ancient Mali, the country. So we would give them cowrie shells, which were used as currency in ancient Mali. And they, we would show them you can use this to press it into the clay and make patterns. Or you can make the shell part of it. I had a kid who made a face and he wanted the shell to be an earring because he had one earring. And so he, he like used the shell as like an earring in the clay. For someone else, the shell might be a little mouth. For someone else, it might just be used to make patterns and then they get to keep the shell at the end and not put it on their mask. 
or a beard. Or I a had beard. a few students make it into a beard or earrings mm-hmm. and ears. So those looked really good. I think something that's great about that project too was we didn't tell them you can make this, this, or that. Because if you do that, they'll make one of those three things. We would say we're going to give you a shell and you can do whatever you want with it. And then they come up with things we would have never thought of. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And that's what's really exciting for us because I think kids, when you give them the chance, they'll come up with really fun ideas. And if you just try and limit, if you try and, you might not realize it, but if you end up limiting them by giving them like some options, instead of letting it be open-ended, I think it can be scary to let something be open-ended, but children really rise to the occasion. No, they absolutely do. Yeah. People in general do. They do. They do. That's a nice thought, but they do. I'm trying to think of an example because there's so many times where I just think, oh, that's such a cool idea. I would have never thought of that. I had a kid make Spider-Man with two cowrie shells as his eyes, and it was really realistic. Well, it's kind of like making your own little inventions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, making your own inventions, experiment. And, you know, part of that lesson might be to the listener, let yourself experiment in your artistic practice. Let yourself start making something and you don't know what it's going to be when it's done and see what happens. Act like a modern artist. (laughs) (laughs) Let the material guide you. I think we do some. We have um, an event coming up. Actually, the event is going to be before this airs, but we're going to have a watercolor event. And when I say event, I just mean we're going to have like a little free watercolor day where you can come and learn about watercolor painting. And I would call that process art, too. So I'm going to say here's some techniques for watercolor. Here's how... I have techniques for how I do a landscape. I'm very bad at landscapes. So I have a lot of techniques to <laughs> make landscapes look good. And how, here's how I would sketch it. Here's how I would approach finding what you want to draw and drawing it. And here's how I would apply the color. And here's different options for how you can apply a color. And I would call that process-based artwork because everyone is going to make their own landscape. And all of the techniques I'm giving them are kind of just options. And all what you're doing really is painting. I think that technique and process art can be combined. I don't mm-hmm. think that one has to exist without the other. You can know techniques, but it's all about having the ability and the chance to be open-ended mm-hmm. and to explore other options. You're not within a set of margins. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You can still use techniques to get there. Yeah. I mean, so one example might be like photography. So if anyone is, has an interest in photography, if you do photography... That is a very scientific art form. It's If you do film, it's very chemical. It's still chemical if you do digital photography, actually. And it's very technical. And if you do editing your photos on the computer using equipment, this is an art form where you're working with a lot of, it's kind of steam. You're working with a lot of science and tech, and you have to have an understanding of how things work. So technique is at the forefront of making pictures that actually come out being actually visible. But... You could also take a camera and walk in the woods and not know what picture you're going to take and have an open-ended process. So even though process art kind of starts with modernism, it doesn't have to live there. I love that. And that's kind of like finding inspiration in the moment. Yes. Mm -hmm. Finding inspiration in the moment. Being open inspiration. Yeah. So I think that covers this topic of process art pretty thoroughly. I think so. I mean, you you could talk about it longer, but I think that we did... A pretty good summarization. I think a good good summarization here Mm -hmm. today. I hope that you learned something um, today about art projects. I hope this inspires someone to work on an art project with a kid, with their child, their sibling, or with themselves and see how consciously thinking about process and process art um, affects your practice. This has been Art Speaks from the William King Museum of Art. 
and you're listening to WEHC 90.7.